from a sweep in round one to being swept in round two, where do you find the difference between winning and losing? But also in such a dramatic, at least by the box scores, fashion. With most of the recaps, I've tried to simply focus on who is playing and less about who was injured or suspended. That overused cliche of the next guy up. There is a problem with that in today's NHL. Not all players are simply plug-and-play replaceable. You can take enough elite talent off of any NHL team, and they will be average instead of cup contenders. A team on the cusp of cup contention, their star players are even more valuable. That with a slight degree of a switch in attention to detail is the only way to analyze this Winnipeg-Montreal series. This podcast is for diehard hockey followers, the ones who watch every year win or lose. It isn't for bandwagon fans. Those fans aren't interested beyond the score of who won or lost, let alone the reason why. Just that they have a jersey somewhere tucked away in a closet. They can pull out and say, that's their team, when dare we say that team is far enough along a playoff run that it's more so a fashion statement in the likeness of like wearing a New York Yankees hat because of Jay-Z says about you than it does about a team or even a sport. Lucky for some people, there isn't a skill-testing question required to listen to the podcast. Welcome to Central Division Hockey, the podcast, and the Winnipeg versus Montreal NHL North Division Final Playoff Recap Podcast. Big reminder that Central Division Hockey, the podcast, is focused on the teams that make up the Central Division in 2021-22. This season, Winnipeg played by itself in the North Division with the other Canadian teams. Winnipeg is the only reason I watch the North Division. The NHL regular season and NHL playoffs are two different seasons. I should forget a team's success or failure in either of those seasons as only a reflection of how those teams do in those separate seasons. I had Montreal to finish first in the North in the regular season. It's in the After Training Camp Preview podcast. Montreal really in recent memory or better how about we say the Carey Price era sneak into the playoffs and at best have a first round upset on the back of Carey Price. There was one conference or final four appearance in 2013-14, three other second round appearances in addition to that and more first round exits. 1993 is so far removed from the current NHL game it bears no historical relevance anymore. 1967, by comparison, is a case of how to simply compound pointlessness to sheer irrelevance. Unfortunately, I think I factored in playoff success into the regular season predictions. Montreal's most recent first-place divisional regular season title was in 2014-15, a year they were second in the Eastern Conference. They snuck into the playoffs, or in some cases by the playoff format set up, arrive in the playoffs by default most years. 2016-17, they were first in the Atlantic Division, but actually fourth in the conference. The Atlantic Division that year was abysmal competitively. One thing is, come playoff time, 
the elevation of Carey Price in net does give Montreal a team boost, and you can expect a Canadiens team to simply overachieve from its regular season, at least in the early rounds. However, only once until Montreal's series win over Winnipeg did Price guide Montreal beyond the second round in his time in what we call the Carey Price era. Winnipeg, and it should be added in 2017-18, more recently finished second overall in the league in the regular season. Its value is that Winnipeg has players on the current roster that actually still play for them that went through that season. They also made the franchise's lone conference or Final Four appearance that season. The big difference, of course, is on the blue line of the Winnipeg team from the 2017-18 season and today's Jets team. As for this sweep by Montreal over Winnipeg, that seems most easily explainable from the team Winnipeg had for its round with Edmonton that they swept Edmonton in versus who they had left available to play against Montreal when Montreal swept them. Certainly, Montreal played most of their team identity from round one and round two. They played with the lead in every game and they eliminated Winnipeg in quick fashion. It just as easily could have gone the other way. First, I will recap the games and then analyze the series using the preview breakdown and keys. Game 1 recap, Montreal 5, Winnipeg 3 in Winnipeg. The game-winning goal in the third with the game 3-2 for Montreal and 8.56 left, Montreal defenseman Shea Weber is lost in defensive zone coverage on a Montreal power play that allows him to go on a breakaway off a Montreal stretch pass. Winnipeg goalie Connor Hellebuck makes the save, but Montreal's Brendan Gallagher is able to tap in the rebound. Montreal had the power play as Winnipeg's Josh Morrissey took a delay of game puck over glass penalty. Other goals, 3.30 into the first, Montreal's Jesperi Kakinemi. Net front tip on a pass from Montreal's Jeff Petrie opens the scoring. 5.10 in, Montreal goal by Eric Stahl. Net front off the Montreal cycle set up by a net side pass from Corey Perry. 8.08 left, Winnipeg, shorthanded goal by Adam Lowry, who beats Montreal goalie Carey Price with a backhand five-hole on a breakaway after a Montreal turnover at the Winnipeg blue line. 2.46 left, Montreal goal by Nick Suzuki on a two-on-one keep, where he outweights Winnipeg goalie Hellebuck and gets a net side, short side, just over the pad goal. 1.44 left, Montreal look to add to their lead. However, Montreal's Kaki Nemi makes contact on Winnipeg goalie Hellebuck in his crease, and takes a goalie interference penalty, and the goal is waved off immediately. 9.22 into the third Winnipeg goal on a deep pinch by Derek Forberg off the Winnipeg cycle from the circle slot. He puts it glove side far corner on a feed by Winnipeg's Pierre-Luc Dubois. 1.42 left, Winnipeg goal, 6-on-5 by Kyle Connor on a short side one-timer just over the pad from the low circle on a cross-seam pass from Nick Ehlers. 57 seconds left, Montreal empty net goal as Jack Evans beats out an icing, goes behind the Winnipeg net and comes out with his head down and puts it into an empty net while getting absolutely rocked by Mark Scheifele who has assessed a five-minute charging penalty and I will save my further commentary for later. Big saves, Montreal goalie Price, 5.56 into the first pad save on Winnipeg's Mason Appleton from the slot on the power play. 5.50 left, stops Winnipeg's Blake Wheeler, short side net side. 5.19, a short side save on Winnipeg's KC. For future reference, that's the short form for Kyle Connor, not to confuse Kyle Connor with Connor Hellebuck. 
122 left, blocker save on Winnipeg Shifley, short side one-timer on the power play, 28 seconds into the second, high upright save on Winnipeg's KC from the slot. 13.39 left, gets a glove save, two deflect away Winnipeg's Matthew Perot on a two-on-one with KC. Seven seconds left, stops Winnipeg's Tucker Pullman's point shot through traffic. 5.56 into the third, gets a piece of his glove on KC's shot from the slot. 6.49, stops Winnipeg's Wheeler from jamming in a rebound short side after a wraparound. 3.56, makes a mass save on Winnipeg's Pullman from the circle. Winnipeg goalie Hellbuck, 9-11 left in the second, five-hole pad save on Montreal's Cole Caulfield from the slot on Montreal, two-on-one. 3.22 left, glove save on Montreal's Paul Byron from the slot. 2.19 left, stops Montreal's Joe Armia on a partial breakaway off a Winnipeg turnover at the Montreal Blue Line. 107 left, stops Montreal's Josh Anderson as he spins at the dot and puts a backhander on the net. 2.45 into the third, save on Montreal's Anderson's blast off the rush. 9.57 left, blocker save on Montreal's Tyler Toffoli from the slot on the power play. Nine minutes left, save on Montreal's Weber's breakaway before Montreal's game-winning power play goal. 4.51 left, stops Montreal's Ben Sherratt from the circle on the power play. Montreal goalie Price, three goals against, 27 saves for the win. Winnipeg goalie Hellebuck, four goals against, 28 saves in the loss. Post crossbars and big defensive plays. Seven seconds left in the first. Short side post hit by Montreal's Evans on a two-on-one keep. Did not finish. Winnipeg defenseman Dylan DeMello suffered a lower body injury in his first shift. 29 seconds time on ice for the game. And Winnipeg played the whole game essentially with five defensemen. Shots on goal, 33-30 for Montreal. Block shots, 11-9 in favor of Montreal. Hits, 42-24 for Winnipeg. The power play, Montreal 1-4. for Winnipeg 0-3. for Game analysis, the question of how Winnipeg would play having over a week wait between games was answered by Montreal's 3-1 lead after one. To me, it lasted about 10 minutes of the first where Montreal had a 2-0 lead as to Winnipeg's slow start in this game. You can't take away the first 10 minutes, but Winnipeg wins the game if one were able to be able to do that. Sure, Montreal gets the lone power play goal in the game, Winnipeg scores a shorthanded goal to equal that out. Take away the empty net goal, and trust me, that's a serious changer if we could do that, and we'll save that discussion for later. And minus that first 10 minutes where Montreal had that two-goal advantage, Winnipeg had a 2-1 to even-strength goal advantage through the remaining 50 minutes. Winnipeg could never make up for the slow start, and that is the primary reason Winnipeg lost Game 1. Game 2 recap, Montreal 1, Winnipeg nothing in Winnipeg. The game-winning goal, a scoreless game, 141 into the second. A Montreal shorthanded goal would be the lone goal and game winner by Montreal's Tyler Toffoli, who beats Winnipeg goalie Connor Hellebuck. Roof blocker side corner on a two-on-one keep. No other goals in the game. Big saves, Montreal goalie Carey Price. 433 into the first, stop short side Winnipeg's Andrew Kopp. 718 left, gets a piece of his glove on Kopp going far side from the circle off the rush. 214 into the second, save on Winnipeg's Adam Lowry all alone in close 532 left short side stop on winnipeg's christian Veselinen from the circle off the rush 31 seconds into the third stops winnipeg's pierre luc dubois off the rush 317 left short side rebound save on winnipeg's Derek forbert's d pinch three seconds left save on winnipeg's kyle connor from the circle off the rush Winnipeg goalie Hellbuck, 8.15 into the first, stops Montreal's Cole Caulfield from the dot as Montreal holds the puck in at the Winnipeg blue line. 
925 in, two saves on Montreal's Corey Perry in close. 250 into the second big save on Montreal's Brendan Gallagher's slot tip. 523 left stops Montreal's Caulfield off the rush. 46 seconds into the third pad save on Montreal's Jesperi Kokinemi in the slot off a Winnipeg defensive zone turnover at the blue line. 701 left denies Montreal's Paul Byron's two-on-one keep from the slot. 602 left, big stop on Montreal's Nick Suzuki on a two-on-one keep. Montreal goalie Price, 30-save shutout win. Winnipeg goalie Hellebuck, one goal against. 23 saves in the loss. Post-crossbars, big defensive plays. 27 seconds left in the third. Montreal's Toffoli rings the post on Winnipeg's empty net. Shots on goal, 30-24 for Winnipeg. Block shots, 19-12 for Montreal. Hits, 49-20 for Winnipeg. Game analysis, the Winnipeg power play units were forced to be adjusted because of the Mark Scheifele suspension. The lone goal is a shorthanded goal by Montreal, and that makes sense. The Montreal would take advantage of the newly formed Winnipeg power play units. Winnipeg also goes 0 for 2 on the power play in this game as well. Simply missing their top line center and point leader leads to this 1 nothing loss. Shifley's playing this game. I think Winnipeg most likely wins. The game's first star ought to have been the head of the NHL's joke of player safety department, George Paris. Winnipeg drops two at home to begin the series. Vital game three. Recap, Montreal 5, Winnipeg 1 in Montreal. The game-winning goal with Montreal up 1-0, 9-24 into the second. Winnipeg goalie Connor Halbuck stops Montreal's Philip Deneau. Montreal's Arturi Lekkonen gets his first goal of the playoffs, banging in the rebound. Other goals, 4-45 into the first. Montreal goal with Montreal's Yoel Armia net front. Corey Perry goes around the Winnipeg net to the slot, and his shot goes off and up Winnipeg's Jordy Ben stick and in. After Montreal's second goal, the game winner with 6.19 left in the second. Montreal gets a shorthanded goal on a two-on-one keep. Montreal's Armia waits out Winnipeg defenseman Josh Morrissey as he takes away the bottom of the net and puts it high glove. 2.09 left Winnipeg goal as Adam Lowry on a three-on-two rush on a one-touch pass puts it roof on Montreal goalie Carey Price net side. 8.52 into the third Montreal power play goal. Nick Suzuki neck front tap on a corner pass created off the Montreal forecheck. 3.18 left, Montreal shorthanded, empty net goal, Armia's second from inside his own blue line. Big saves, Montreal goalie Price, 7.59 left in the first five-hole pad save on Winnipeg's Andrew Kopp, off the rush as Nick Ehlers stops up and makes a dish. Three seconds left, stops Winnipeg's Blake Wheeler, spin and fire from the slot, off the Winnipeg forecheck. 22 seconds into the second, save on Winnipeg's Pierre-Luc Dubois, net front deflection from Wheeler pass, off the rush. 6.05 into the third, stops Winnipeg's Kyle Connor as he wires it from the slot. 625 in saves Winnipeg's KC's backhander in close. 819 in stops Winnipeg's Mason Appleton in alone after Winnipeg keeps the puck in at the Montreal Blue Line. Winnipeg goalie Hellebuck 304 into the first shoulder save on Montreal's Cole Caulfield on a two on one keep. 750 in stops Montreal's Alekinen's net front tip on a Shea Weber point wrister. 158 into the second short side save on Montreal's Caulfield's partial breakaway off the rush. 227 in glove save on Montreal's Caulfield from the circle. 734 in short side stop on Montreal's Suzuki off the rush. 852 left stops Montreal Suzuki in tight. 558 left point blank save on Montreal's Lekkonen net front four on four. Montreal goalie Price one goal against 26 saves for the win. Winnipeg goalie Hellbuck four goals against 28 saves for the loss. Post crossbars and big defensive plays. 455 into the second Winnipeg's Ehlers rings the crossbar off the Winnipeg cycle. 738 in Winnipeg's Wheeler puts it off the crossbar. Missed calls, 846 left in the first Montreal's Brett Kulak, but ends Winnipeg's Appleton with no penalty call. 
Shots on goal, 33-27 Montreal. Block shots, 21-20 for Winnipeg. Hits, 32-23 for Winnipeg. Power play, Winnipeg 0 for 2. Montreal 1 for 5. Game analysis. One thing Montreal always was able to do is play with the lead in this series, and that is definitely a key to Winnipeg's Game 3 loss. Montreal went up 2 to nothing by the midpoint of the game and then scored a shorthanded goal again, like in Game 2, that the missing Shifley point specifically addresses again. Winnipeg would get one back, but still, that had them down two goals going into the third. The third period, Winnipeg got lots of penalties, and that wouldn't be an issue if the game is being called fairly. To me, this was refs making up for extra penalties they called on Montreal from their first-round series. Not anything to do with the series being played. With the refs missing early calls on Winnipeg and a third-period power play goal by Montreal that sealed it, by the time a makeup call for Winnipeg was made, that still left the man advantage heavily tilted, and the score was 4-1 to one with less than five minutes to play. While it sealed Winnipeg's fate with back-to-back games to be played, and the team down 3 to nothing in the series, Winnipeg didn't have puck luck offensively. Meanwhile, in this game, Montreal did convert on their 5-on-5 chances more than Winnipeg in the first half of the game to play again with the lead and then were helped along by the officiating to the final buzzer. Game 4 recap, Montreal 3, Winnipeg 2, overtime in Montreal. A game-winning goal, game tied at 2 going into overtime. Montreal ends it 139 in after Winnipeg gets pinned in its defensive zone. Montreal gets the overtime game-winning goal and series clincher as Tyler Toffoli's net side. One-timer beats Winnipeg goalie Connor Hellbuck on a cross-crease pass to the low-circle net side slot. Other goals, 8-1 into the first, Montreal opens the scoring on the power play. Montreal's Eric Gustafson's point shot wrister goes through traffic, blocker side posted in. After Toffoli keeps the puck in the Winnipeg defensive zone on Winnipeg, Nate Thompson's turnover at the blue line. Winnipeg, Andrew Kopp's high stick on Montreal's Jesperi Kakinemi in the Winnipeg defensive zone put Montreal on that power play. 51 seconds left, Montreal goal, Arturi Alekinen tips Brett Kulak's point wrister on a weak defensive zone clear effort by Winnipeg. 140 into the second Winnipeg goal, Logan Stanley beats Montreal goalie Carey Price short side shelf with a wrister from the dot off the Winnipeg side. 529 in Winnipeg goal Stanley second of the game a short side one-timer blast from the top of the circle off the rush big saves Montreal goalie Price 945 left in the first glove save on Winnipeg's Nick Ehlers from the circle on the power play 905 in knob of the goal stick keeps out Winnipeg's Joss Morrissey's point shot through traffic on the power play 653 left far side pad save on Winnipeg's Blake Wheeler's blast from the circle off the rush 813 into the third three stops finishing with a glove save on Winnipeg's Paul Statsy net side one second left stops Winnipeg's Kyle Connor from distance Winnipeg goalie Hellebuck, 4.55 into the first stops. Montreal's Corey Perry net front rebound. 7.53 left, blocker save on Montreal's Cole Caulfield as he stops up for a slot shot. 4.41 left, pad save on Montreal's Lekkonen off the rush. 3.10 left, point blank stop on Montreal's Caulfield from the dot on the power play. 3.03 into the third stops Montreal's Ben Sherratt's point blast. 4.26 in, denies Montreal's Josh Anderson in the paint. 5.11 in, stops Montreal's Brendan Gallagher net side. 7.04 in, save and rebound stop on Montreal's Philip Deneau net front. 3.23 left, denies Montreal's Deneau point blank blast short side as he collects it off a shot put off the backboards. 34 seconds, stops Montreal's Perry in the paint on the power play. 1.19 into the third, save on Montreal's Lekkonen from the slot. 
237 blocker save on Montreal's Paul Byron, short side, net side. 434 pad save on Montreal's Gallagher, off Winnipeg's Cops, defensive zone turnover. 833 pad stop on Montreal's Kaki and Emmy from the slot. 945 save on Montreal's Gallagher on a broken play off the rush. Montreal goalie Price, two goals against, 14 saves for the overtime win. Winnipeg goalie Helbeck, three goals against, 39 saves for the overtime loss. Post crossbars and big defensive play, 6.51 into the second. Montreal's Gustafson puts the puck off the crossbar, joining a Montreal odd man rush. 4.20 left, Winnipeg's Mason Appleton off the rush. Backhand, pass to Statsny, who then puts it off a Montreal defense, and then it goes off the crossbar. Shots on goal, 42-16 for Montreal. Block shots, 19-12 for Winnipeg. Hits, 49-25 Winnipeg. Power play, 0-for-1 for Winnipeg, 1-for-3 for Montreal. Game analysis, I didn't talk about the play of Winnipeg goalie Connor Halbuck, but he was the best player on the ice for either team to get this game into overtime. Winnipeg came out flat and two uncharacteristic defensive zone turnovers in the first had them behind in yet another game in the series. Winnipeg battled back only to get stuck in overtime in their defensive zone again. It's fair to say, however, the losing goalie Halbuck with 39 saves compared to Price's 14 was the only reason, along with Stanley's second period tallies, Winnipeg was in extra time. Montreal, with two extra power play chances, converted on one, the only one that was a legit penalty, and nearly called on the wrong Winnipeg player. But let's not focus again on that. Winnipeg needed to generate more offense in spite of that and didn't, and they were never leading in a game to win a game. Yet, with the tilted ice favoring Montreal, it seemed most nights Montreal barely pulled it out. Overall series analysis, second round Montreal 4, Winnipeg 0, sweep Montreal 14 goals 4, Winnipeg 6 goals 4, a plus 6 goal differential for Montreal. In the preview, I said, I really take stock in a team's goal differential. Montreal had the worst goal differential of any team at a minus 9 that was in this year's playoffs. They also had a negative minus 4 goal differential in their first round series win. The other takeaway, the same goals for by the teams in round 1, i.e. Winnipeg and Montreal, has the distinction that Winnipeg played 3 less games to score as many goals as Montreal did in 7 games. Here's the underlying numbers for the sweep on the plus 8 goal differential. Montreal's reversal of script from both their regular season and first round series win. The reversal, it is Montreal who had 14 goals for in the four game series versus Winnipeg, while Winnipeg only had 6. Winnipeg's goal production can accurately be cited as needing to be better if they wanted to win this series. As well, Winnipeg ought to look at the reality that Montreal was in the midst of a good stretch of games and were building off their last three games from round one. I think as we look at the drop in Winnipeg's goal production, you should acknowledge Montreal's improvement in their game as well as their own goal production. However, the boost is explained on special teams as far as goal production. Even strength goals for the series were a 7-5 to advantage for Montreal. And I almost want to credit those extra two in the first 10 minutes of Game 1 and Winnipeg's slow start. Really, the rest of Montreal's scoring's advantage in the series is special teams. In fact, that is the part of the series that provides Montreal its sweep over Winnipeg. There's more to it, but simplified, that boost is the reason that Montreal won. However, of course, I'm going to get into depth to show you how. 
Using the preview template, let's break down and look at the keys to the series. The goaltending matchup, the expected starters played all four games. Winnipeg's Connor Halbach ended up with a 2.23 goals against average and 931 save percentage, and he had one shutout in the Edmonton series. Those, of course, are his goals against and save percentages for the first two rounds. He was 0-4 in the series in wins and losses, and 4-4 in the postseason. 12 goals against, 118 saves in the series versus Montreal, a total of 20 goals against 269 saves in the postseason. Montreal's Carey Price, a 197 goals against average, a 935 save percentage. He had one shutout in the series versus Winnipeg. Those goals against and save percentages are for the first two rounds for Carey Price. He was 4-0 in the series and 8-3 record in the postseason through two rounds. Six goals against, 97 saves in the series. 22 goals against, 315 saves over the first two rounds of the playoffs. Both Winnipeg's Connor Halbuck and Montreal's Carey Price delivered goaltending to win this series. A look at their postseason save percentages after two rounds of the playoffs being .004% different. And I said I wouldn't pick between the goalies in this series. Both teams had Vesna winning caliber goaltending in Montreal's Price and Winnipeg's Halbuck. As he did in the first round series versus Edmonton, Winnipeg's Hellebuck faced more shots on goal than his counterpart Montreal's Price did at the end of the rink. Hellebuck in the four-game sweep by Montreal saved 21 more shots on goal than Carey Price did. That includes the 25 more he faced in the 3-2 overtime loss in Game 4. It's an average of 7.4 more shots on goal per game that Montreal had on Connor Hellebuck. Game 1, we can contribute to a team's a slow start through the first 10 minutes, then everyone, including Winnipeg's Hellebuck, settled in. While in Round 1 against Edmonton, Hellebuck was on the winning end of a 1-0 win. Round 2, he was on the losing end of a game with that score. Game 3, a lack of run support and lousy special teams allows Montreal to win. And in Game 4, Hellebuck is absolutely the reason the game goes into overtime from a Winnipeg perspective. Price certainly was good or equal to Hellebuck in less of a workload, and he did post a series lone shutout. We'll never know if he could have stopped a healthy and suspension-free Winnipeg forward group. There's enough here to suggest that could absolutely have flipped the script in the series. The series wasn't won or lost between the pipes for either team. It was just that standard of excellence we expect of Price that we also now realize Hellebuck entering his prime is capable of matching. I asked in the preview for the key matchup on who would deliver better goaltending for their team and did the long layoff affect Hellebuck's rhythm and conversely did a long series health-wise affect Price. Both goalies were stellar, so the series to me was decided elsewhere. Let's look at the defense. I think I want to debunk two series myths in the space, if I can, related to the D groups offensively. There was a pre-series prediction narrative that Montreal would provide more offense from their D group based solely, I believe, on regular season stats than the D group's first round series. It was also cited as a reason Montreal would win in every case. Fact is, Montreal's six assists in Game 1 was an outlier. The rest of the series, they had a goal and three assists. The short series gives the propped up total that exceeds Winnipeg's D group by a whole whopping four points. On actual goal production from the D groups, Winnipeg had three goals to Montreal's one. That first game assist total for Montreal includes three assists on Montreal's first two goals that we have explained are about Winnipeg's slow start more than Montreal at all. However, I will admit that in two games, 
To me, a Jeff Petrie and Shea Weber primary assist each on Montreal's goals by forwards were key to those goals being scored. Because of those plays, I would simply regard the offensive D-group production as a wash for either team. Now, if you want to say that Montreal D had more points in the four games versus Winnipeg than they did in the first round series prior, sure, that's factual. That it was a driving force in Montreal winning over Winnipeg isn't true. The other factual thing you could say is Winnipeg's D-group point production went down from their first round series win. However, on goal production, it didn't. They scored three versus Montreal and only two from the D-group versus Edmonton. Really, the thing about the Montreal series is Winnipeg's three goals from D-men accounts for half the team's goal production for the series. That's an issue when it's not comparatively a large in comparison to the opposition like it was in this series. That's going to show the forward group is a big issue for Winnipeg on the goal production in this series. It also says something else before I get ahead of myself. It gets me to what the D groups did do better in this series, the primary job of playing defense. Montreal's did that job better than Winnipeg's. Montreal stayed true to their first round form on the defensive side of the game, improved upon it, and while Winnipeg conversely had a drop-off. Trouble was how to show you the listener that beyond the eye test, but back it up with some team and individual metrics between the Edmonton and Montreal series from a Winnipeg perspective, so you could see it. In fairness, the idea of team defense in hockey is absolutely true as well. As much as in today's NHL I spend time talking about the offensive production from the D groups, it's also team offense in its current style of play as well. While I do demonstrate Winnipeg's D group drop, be aware, it actually can be said of Winnipeg's forward group on the defensive side of the game in the same breath. Take block shots, 101 for the Edmonton series by Winnipeg, 61 for the Montreal series. Now, if you listen to the Edmonton versus Winnipeg recap, you know I said time on ice metrics because of a double overtime game and two more overtime games was actually equivalent to an additional 60 minutes over the four games in that series. The Montreal series had, by comparison, two whole minutes of overtime for the series. I'm going to reflect the game time here to make a point between the two series. You get a 20.2 average block shots in the Edmonton series if you use five games instead of four. Edmonton doing the same four games instead of five is at a 13.8 average block shots per game. More reflective of the actual playing time for each of the teams in those games. The Montreal series was 15.3 block shots per game by Winnipeg and more importantly Montreal had 15. 5 block shots per game. It's more important as Montreal had a decided shot on goal advantage against Winnipeg. In fact, a better average per game than Edmonton if you extrapolate the shots on goal of the Edmonton series into five full games instead of four. Yet, it was Montreal who blocked more shots when arguably Winnipeg needed to stay ahead in that metric like they did versus Edmonton to have found the same win success. Now, the four-game shot on goal average for Edmonton was 39.8 in four games. But again, thinking of that series play actually being five full games, it becomes 31.8 average per game. The one game that finished in regulation had Edmonton have 33 shots on goal. That number is the shot on goal average per game by Montreal versus Winnipeg per game in their series. Winnipeg didn't have the same block shot advantage against
against Montreal as they did against Edmonton while still allowing basically the same shot on goal against in both series. That's why I say the Winnipeg defense wasn't as good versus Montreal. That's a reason for the reverse in Winnipeg's fortune. Individually, Winnipeg's Josh Morrissey and Neil Pionk both had a drop-off in offensive contribution from the back end from one series to the next that you can clearly see because of their point totals. They also had five fewer block shots each between the first and second rounds. They went from plus-minus plus players to minus ones. Those are the two Winnipeg D-men logging the most time on ice, so that's going to have a negative effect overall. It's not to say they aren't Winnipeg's two best two-way defensemen. They both had a great series versus Edmonton and had a drop-off in play versus Montreal. However, Dylan DeMello played one shift in the Montreal series. That's being kind. The time on ice was 29 seconds total. He was playing top four with Morrissey in the series before and played next level against Edmonton. DeMello had the best plus minus of Winnipeg's top four versus Edmonton of the whole D group. Tucker Pullman, who had a great series versus Edmonton as well, playing bottom pair, actually led the D group in plus minus for the Edmonton series at a plus four and had a goal and an assist. In the Montreal series, the elevation in playing time did not translate to as good of a series for Pullman. He had no points and also had fewer block shots than the previous series. The takeaway, something about Pullman, Logan Stanley, and that pairing works, and DeMille's injury changed that bottom pairing for Winnipeg. Derek Forbert, who is Winnipeg's other top four that I haven't talked about yet, D through both series, should be talked about, and as it relates to the Montreal series, well, the truth is, he was Winnipeg's best top four D-man. He is the only Winnipeg D to have an increase in his block shots from the Edmonton to Montreal series, and he had a goal in the Montreal series. Unfortunately, he was essentially the only one from the Winnipeg top four to do it. I've talked about Pullman, who spent round one versus Edmonton paired with rookie Logan Stanley. Like Forbert, Stanley was also the other most consistent Winnipeg defenseman over both rounds. However, the impact as a bottom pair D-man, while good, still can't have the majority of your top four in Winnipeg's place, getting outplayed and still win. Stanley finished with a team-leading 22 block shots for the D group over the two rounds. He had a less in the Montreal series, but like Forbert, the totals were close between the two series. His two goals in Game 4 are the only reason that game, with goalie Connor Halbeck netminding, gets the game to overtime. Stanley was a plus 3 in each round to be a plus 6, plus or minus total, the best for any Winnipeg defenseman over the playoffs. However, I do not simply think that you can say by playing Stanley top four that Winnipeg increases its play overall as it could result in a drop off, which by comparison Pullman did have when he was required to do it. For those who want to put the series loss solely on Dylan DeMello being out, it definitely had an adverse effect on Winnipeg's D pairings and it also had Winnipeg play game one with only five defensemen after a really long time off. I don't think Jordy Ben's play in the bottom pair role wasn't adequate in the three games he played. Ben had an assist, five block shots, and was a plus-minus, plus-two in those three games played. He wasn't as good a D partner as Pullman for Stanley was, and he couldn't replace DeMello's absence. The difficult part is knowing how DeMello would have performed versus Montreal, and would it have been more like Stanley's consistency or a drop-off like, say, Pianca. That's something we're never going to know.
Finally, Winnipeg coach Paul Maurice, I swear, it was even prior to the Winnipeg-Edmonton series had been clear Ben was going in if a right-hand defenseman went down, whereas Vili Hanola was going to be an option only if it were a left-hand defenseman going down. He, Pomo, usually isn't direct, but prior to DeMello's injury, if you were at all surprised by Ben playing instead of Hanola, given his limited playing time, especially on his off-D-wing, well, you just simply weren't paying close enough attention. Pomo actually gave the answer a whole series prior who was going to play if someone did get hurt. Simply the drop-off of the two most important Winnipeg defensemen of the top four from one series to the next and DeMello's injury is probably one of the biggest factors in Winnipeg's first round win versus the second round loss. DeMello missing essentially the whole series is more impactful to Winnipeg than Montreal being without Jeff Petrie for a game. If you can recognize that, you have better hockey sense than most people who you just can't explain anything in the game to bother trying to. DeMello's loss to Winnipeg would be more comparable to as if Montreal playing the series without Ben Sherratt for all of it more accurately. And that's something Montreal didn't have to do. The two key matchups from the preview, Winnipeg's Josh Morrissey versus Montreal's Jeff Petrie. From the offensive side of things, I said in the preview, this looks like a mismatch as we put a regular season double-digit scoring D-man opposite of Morrissey. Petrie had a pair of assists, both in the slow start Winnipeg Game 1 and played only three games in the series. Morrissey had an assist in his four games played. Petrie wasn't Montreal's best defenseman, nor was Morrissey Winnipeg's. I would call this a draw. The series difference wasn't decided by this matchup being lopsided either way. It wasn't. Second key matchup, Winnipeg's Neil Pionk versus Montreal Shea Weber. I said in the preview, basically, these are the two next best defensemen for the respective teams. A healthy Shea Weber, I would probably have switched the matchup with him and teammate Petrie. Had we, I would have given the decided edge to Weber probably against any Winnipeg defenseman we matched him up with. He had three assists, and they all came in three different games, and he's the only Montreal defenseman you can say that for as the lone three-game point player of Montreal's defensive group. Pionk, like Morrissey, I have shared did not perform as good in round two versus Montreal as he did perform rather brilliantly in round one. The nod in this head-to-head matchup therefore goes to Weber. Collectively, Montreal stayed closer to their D-group identity from round one to two. There was additional offense from Montreal in the Winnipeg series Montreal didn't have in round one, but that didn't factor into putting Montreal over. What did is Montreal's group's defensive play that saw the Winnipeg D-group not perform as good as they did against Edmonton. Montreal relied heavily on its top four, Shea Weber, Ben Schrott, Joel Edmondson, and Jeff Petrie. Petrie missed one game. However, it should be noted that bottom pair Eric Gustafson did play exceptionally well for Montreal in the series versus Winnipeg. If you think of his ability to cover in the absence of Petrie for a single game that went into overtime, while Montreal as a top minute heavy D group found enough in the tank in the four game series. The Winnipeg group missing some top forwards for this series needed to put more pressure on the Montreal defensive group and they simply weren't able to. Therefore it's two part to the answer. The Montreal D group did stick to its identity against Winnipeg more so than Winnipeg did itself. Winnipeg's D group with the exception being Forbert from a top four perspective didn't perform as good. Is that because they didn't have two elite players to key on? Maybe that's part of it. The other is simply the attention to detail that Montreal took full advantage of.
Let's look at the offense. I said in the series preview, Winnipeg's top line were impactful in the first round. Kyle Connor, Mark Shifley, and Blake Wheeler all scored a pair of goals to set the pace for the Winnipeg offense. In the preview, I said maybe the biggest thing that everyone should be asking is how to stop them from having another big series. Specifically for Montreal, how were they going to do that? The answer is simply the NHL Department of Player Safety did it for them. I have said my piece of what I thought about the hit in Game 1, and that can be found in the Player Safety Bonus Edition podcast. I haven't talked about how that effectively did shut down Winnipeg's top line. That, to me, absolutely explains the series loss for Winnipeg. Sure, Winnipeg did have a drop-off on the D group play, but how much of that is directly related to the inability for players to play up the Winnipeg lineup and compensate for Winnipeg missing its leading point getter and top line center not playing to me it's everything there are two winnipeg forwards that had comparable series in round one and two and considering that top line drove winnipeg's offense in the edmonton series it isn't something winnipeg has figured out how to compensate for when they don't have it that said kyle connor had a goal and two assists that had him finish as winnipeg's playoff point leader with three goals and seven points it's as close to a point per game player as winnipeg had in this year's playoffs the dip in KC's production is related to Shifley missing the last three games. It also provided the third piece to the line, Blake Wheeler, who was pointless. Remember, six goals, 14 points. The three line mates together had versus Edmonton, and the two remaining were held to a goal, two assists, that was solely KC's individual production against Montreal. I looked at shots on goal by the trio, Winnipeg's top line, and found a drop in all three. The biggest, of course, is a minus 10 shots on goal for the series for Shifley not playing. But it also saw KC with four less shots on goal and Wheeler with one less shot on goal. Those shots on goal are being taken while, of course, in the offensive zone. That line not playing then affects the shot on goal total, the offensive zone time, and the puck possession. It puts more pressure on the defensive game to have to be better for Winnipeg. The second part that can't be understated is Paul Statsny's injury and missing two games in the Montreal series. The Nick Ehlers, Pierre-Luc Dubois factor, you have to realize the second line, those three altogether, never played fully either series. But the glue to the line is Astatsny. He also, by missing two games in the Montreal series, was at five less shots on goal. And I'm sure if we went through the Winnipeg lineup, it probably shows Ehlers, Dubois had a dip without Statsny playing. And it might be said the same of Statsny having low numbers, having missed Ehlers for two games in Dubois for a game in the Edmonton series. Point is, the shot on goal difference between the teams was plus 29 in favor of Montreal. Just KC, Shifley, and Wheeler and Statsny's shots on goal total are 20 less than they had in the Edmonton series from the round before. Bigger still is without the top line scoring, it really does fall to a second line to be able to boost it. And that didn't happen again because of injury. Andrew Kopp's two assists versus Edmonton was an assist second unit power play. And in a game, he did play top six. The Montreal series, he was held pointless. His game four penalty gives Montreal the power play to have the lead in that game. I like Andrew Kopp. I'm not blaming him for losing to Montreal. He is another example of a player who had to play 
play up the Winnipeg lineup that didn't have as good of a series versus Montreal. Keep in mind, Wheeler missing Shifley was pointless too. Shifley was pointless because he wasn't allowed to play, and Statsny, who did play the last two games, was also pointless. Collectively, all were better and played all the games versus Edmonton. Ehlers and Dubois had an assist versus Montreal. Winnipeg didn't have any second-line goal production, and it also had its first-line center in the press box. Comparatively, Montreal had goal scoring by committee from their forward group, nine different forwards in fact, four of them two goal players in the series. Truthfully, Winnipeg didn't have two big star players to key on, but the attention to detail also went with it, not having to play Dreisaitl or McDavid. Simply though, there isn't a whole heck of a lot to rave about Montreal's collective forward group scoring, and it really didn't have to be all that impressive, because Winnipeg wasn't generating much of any. Third line center Adam Lowry had two goals to lead Winnipeg in this series. He was Winnipeg's best forward, and I have all day for Lowry as a third line center. His penalty kill skills, his play this playoffs, were among the best for Winnipeg forwards. However, as I'd said to my friend Warren, if he is our best forward in the series for offensive production, Winnipeg is in trouble. I value his depth scoring in the same way I value Cops and Mason Appleton's as Winnipeg's third line. Appleton had a pair of assists versus Montreal. They didn't play with their regular linemate cop either. Take out Mark Shifley, add two games missed for Paul Stassi's to Winnipeg's top six, and Winnipeg's outstanding third line is also not playing together. The trickle-down effect is real in what was to be a close series between the two teams. It's essentially how Winnipeg lost to Calgary in the play-in playoffs in 2020. Too many forwards and the upward movement of players takes them out of their ideal spots, such as Cop on the third line, Matty Perot on the fourth line, and so on. Winnipeg this year had more depth. They should have generated more offense. To be honest, the 12 forward set Pomo used with a completely healthy team really did maximize the 12 players he used. Simply, Winnipeg's top line had six goals versus Edmonton, and they played one game together versus Montreal. The Montreal series, Winnipeg had six goals for the series, half by the D group. A healthy Winnipeg forward group with Shifley does change the outcome of the series to me. What isn't constructive is putting blame on Pierre-Luc Dubois. He had a pair of assists in the Edmonton series win. He had an assist in the Montreal series loss. The expectation that he needed to suddenly become Mark Shifley in his absence is, to the Winnipeg media and national media listening, the dumbest fucking narrative going. Columbus traded away straight-line players, Josh Anderson to Montreal, Pierre-Luc Dubois to Winnipeg, Nick Foligno to, well, you know, and had Brandon Dominski on IR, all for Max Domi, Jack Rosovic, and Patrick Liney. And they had a coach at the time, now gone, that still wanted to play his straight-line Dallas Stars or Carolina Hurricane or Columbus system game without the forward personnel to play it anymore. Add the drop-off in the goaltending and Columbus wasn't a playoff team. Not one in that list of players can't or in their prime couldn't play top six on most NHL teams. The ones that were in Columbus or the players that have left Columbus. Paul Stanson was gold between two East-West style dynamic stars in Ehlers and Line. 
most power forward straight line guys don't seem to have that chemistry and i refer you to kevin hayes stastny's pure hockey iq and skill set he can play with ehlers however winnipeg really doesn't have a right wing complement to play with them to form a line dubois at center is kind of like kevin hayes was however to keep this quick, Dubois is going to find success with KC and Mason Appleton on his wings as an option, or KC and Wheeler. That actually the top six switch is putting Ehlers with Shifley and Statsny because Shifley can create both north-south, but he also can play east-west because he, like Statsny, has amazing hockey IQ too. The younger Dubois will find his game with straight-line players that KC and Wheeler are. And it also takes time to develop that chemistry. A chemistry you can't develop if Casey and Wheeler are always playing with Mark Shifley. If you notice that Mason Appleton piece to that conversation, to me, he is not Cop, who is ready to play up the lineup while leaving Lowry and Cop together because that maximizes them both as well. Whether it was Joe Armia, whether it was Yoel Armia, sorry, sometimes I call him Joel because that's what he was when he was in Winnipeg, Brandon Tanev, Mason Appleton, or even Matty Perot. Again, all of this can't be done with two top six players not playing and for two years Winnipeg bows out when it loses its best forward and top center Mark Shifley. His value now to this team winning and losing can't be made much clearer. Again, Montreal had nine different forwards score in the series. Tyler Toffoli, Nick Suzuki, Arturi Lekkonen, and Yoel Armia had two goals. That goal scoring by committing wasn't exceptional, considering five goals were in Game 1. The other big goal scoring Game 3 is, as I will soon talk about, special teams driven. It was, however, enough to get Montreal on the winning side of each of the four games. Winnipeg didn't have top-line production like they did in the Edmonton series. They didn't have second-line production to make up for it, and only a bit of depth scoring. Winnipeg's forward group needed to score more collectively, and by that, anyone not named Adam Lowry or KC. They didn't because the top six adjustments without Mark Shifley or Paul Stansney always present Winnipeg with the inability to score goals. Two years running in the playoffs, we're aware of now, and the trickle down the whole lineup affects that as well for the secondary scoring. There's no need to specifically blame individual players. Collectively, they, without Shifley for three games played, Statsny for two games played, didn't get it done. Sadly, Winnipeg didn't need to generate loads of offense to be in these games, but they certainly needed to generate more when not playing defensively as strong as they did against Edmonton. It's a combination of both those things that had Montreal sweep. As we move on to the previous key offensive matchups, Winnipeg's Mark Shifley versus Montreal's Tyler Toffoli. I said in the preview, top goal production to me leads to a series win. Montreal's Tyler Toffoli had two goals, three assists that did lead the way for forward point production for Montreal. Both his goals were game-winning goals as well. Mark Shifley was shut down by George Peros in his aptly mistitled NHL department. Simply playing and contributing, you give the nod to Toffoli. I just went and told you Shifley would have impacted this series had he been allowed to play. Like, think of the quality of your broadcast listening to color commentary from a top six goal scorer in his prime playing days of, say, Eddie Olchuk to like a fourth line NHLer like, for example, Tyson Nash is. 
you can insert who you would like. Now think of how much better the NHL player safety department would be with Paul Correa running it instead of a fourth liner like George Peros does now. Really, think about that. The second matchup, Winnipeg's Nick Ehlers versus Montreal's Jesperi Kakianemi. The idea was, I think, to put the most dynamic, fun-to-watch goal scorers together for each team. Ehlers only played two games with Paul Statsny, and his series output does reflect that reality. Stasny and or Shifley are Winnipeg's remaining top six players who can play the East-West game Ehlers is brilliant at. Winnipeg needs to realize that. They can't leave Ehlers with line mates that take away his dynamic play. In the Montreal series, more than half of it that because of Stasny's injury was the case. Montreal's Kaki and Nemi led Montreal with three goals in their first round series win. I felt he was a key for the second line goal scoring if the top lines balanced each other out. Kaki and Nemi had a goal, but Montreal did have more depth scoring throughout the lineup and they didn't have to worry about matching Winnipeg's non-existent top line scoring because only Kyle Connor was able to score once Shifley was removed from the equation. Neither Ehlers nor Cocky and Emmy had a monster series either, and sadly, it's the fans who missed out on either really providing any highlight real moments, so we'll call that a draw. Special teams, the biggest lopsided penalty was Winnipeg Shifley's overdone suspension. You can actually say Montreal had a 26-minute, 41-second time on ice power play per game for games 2, 3, and 4. Winnipeg's actual top unit power play, of course, had one game without both Shifley and Statsny, three without Shifley and two without Statsny, and not one game with their regular season top unit complement altogether. One, that was 3 for 10 or 30% success in the Edmonton series. Montreal's shorthanded goals are simply explained by the adjustment made to try and somehow compensate for Winnipeg no longer available top power play unit. Montreal getting the benefit of missed calls as expected may not have mattered as the continuity of Winnipeg's power play was already greatly hindered. Winnipeg went 0 for 8 and had three shorthanded goals scored against them, although one into an empty net is probably more about being an empty net goal than being a shorthanded goal. Winnipeg did have one shorthanded goal in the series. Montreal, with an extra five power play chances in the series, went 3 for 13, 23.1%. The combination of power play goals and shorthanded goals and a pair of empty net goals is really what separates the goal production between Winnipeg and Montreal in this series. In fact, Montreal required special teams goal production to win or give them a goal advantage buffer other than game three. This is the kicker to me in this series. The favorable officiating for Montreal was a real thing and it did sink Winnipeg more quickly. Coaches, Winnipeg Paul Maurice, Montreal's Dominique Ducharme. Without his top center and missing a pair of games without second line center Paul Statsny, Paul Maurice's adjustment to his top six did not result in goal production. What I'm not going to do is sit here and suggest that he somehow didn't try a combo that would have changed the outcome of the series. For example, had he dressed defenseman Ville 
Billy Hinola instead of defenseman Jordy Ben wouldn't change the series to me to a Winnipeg win based on how Hinola would have been used had he played his off wing on the bottom pairing. Same with the choices with the forward group. To me, the two most irreplaceable Winnipeg players up the middle were Shifley and Statsny. Although losing Ehlers or KC, while not centers, is still top six guys you either have playing or you don't. It isn't solved by the next man up. Homo, for a second season, was dealt with a tough trio of injuries, that being in this series, DeMillo, Shifley, and Statsny, whereas last year versus Calgary, it was Appleton, Shifley, and Line. And it impacted everything negatively just enough to swing this fully to Montreal. Montreal's Dominique Ducharme didn't have to make major adjustments, but he did shelter rookie defenseman Alexander Romanoff's time on ice in Game 4 and relied heavily on the other D, specifically his top 4D group, to win the series all in all. Romanoff played 927 in that Game 4. He didn't play the minutes Jeff Petrie does, who was out of the lineup for that one game. Ducharme relied on his other vet demon to pick up the actual minutes in Petrie's one-game absence. That with Montreal being up 3 to nothing in the series as well. Montreal did not want to give Winnipeg any chance of getting back into the series. They nearly did both in games 2 and 4. So credit to Ducharme for getting through the series as quickly as possible because the longer it went, the less likely all these pieces aligning like they did for Montreal would continue. Final thoughts, Winnipeg played finally in the first round to the expectation level I had wanted to see from them during the regular season. The results spoke for themselves. I also think Winnipeg, not Montreal, had the tougher first round matchup, having watched both series. The play in Winnipeg's first round series should give Winnipeg fans optimism going forward. The over a week wait to play did cost Winnipeg game one due to a slow start. That was, in fact, less than a period. And again, I say it was about 10 minutes. Montreal's Carey Price stole a game in Game 2, with both Winnipeg Shifley and Statsny not in the lineup, as an important asterisk to his lone shutout. Winnipeg was flat in Game 3. It also was the game Montreal was most aided by special teams to have a lead in that game with. Give that one to the league in lopsided officiating as a reasonable explanation. Game 4, Winnipeg goalie Hellebuck essentially did steal, other than Winnipeg finding the OT winner before Montreal did the game, and he was equally deserving of winning Game 2, that one nothing loss. Game 4, the even-strength goals were even. Montreal still had a power play marker again as a difference maker negatively towards Winnipeg for that 3-2 overtime loss. I said in the preview Montreal can't beat Winnipeg unless Winnipeg has a drop from how they played in round one. I should have only added additionally if they can't play who played in the first round series win as well. That's the story here. Up next for the podcast is a recap of the Vegas, Colorado round two series. There was no semi-final preview as the combination of Vegas and Montreal knocking out the other two remaining 2021-22 Central Division teams from the playoffs capped the season without a final four team this year. After that Colorado-Vegas series recap, I will actually begin with the year-end team focus podcast in reverse finish order, beginning with the teams Arizona, Chicago, and Dallas that missed this year's playoffs. Those team-focused podcasts will include grading players, the coach, and GM for the year, and that's where a complete look for each team will be and a true overview 
for each team's respective season. Additionally, there will be an NHL expansion and NHL draft recap podcast that focus on the eight teams for the 2021-22 Central Division and individual team-focused free agency podcasts that are follow-up podcasts complementing the overview team-focused year-end ones. Essentially expect a reasonable amount of what we might consider off-season content from the podcast. I haven't decided what to do about the expansion draft coverage quite yet either, or about whether or not I'm going to do an NHL draft preview. So you'll just have to see what ends up being put together as the uh, off-season gets into motion. Honestly, the biggest drawback on both Colorado and Winnipeg not advancing was it took away the urgency of getting a preview podcast up and the series recaps done as quickly as possible. So I did afford myself a bit of a break for the first time since training camp. (laughs) 